where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. This Advent, we are drawing from the richness of Valerie Kaur's revolutionary love project and her core practices. And last week's core practice was listening. This week's core practice is grieving. And I know what you're thinking, can we just do listening again? Or maybe let's just go back to the traditional themes of Advent. Grieving is not always something that we want to focus on. And before you tune out, let's acknowledge that for the most part, grieving is uncomfortable. I say that because there's a false sense that grief can be linear, quick, and efficient. When it comes to grief, the unfair expectation is that we can somehow keep our chin up and carry on after just a few days or a few weeks or maybe even a few months. One of the most helpful things that was ever said to me after following the, the loss of uh, my mom and that grieving process was when someone said, you know, it can take a year. And even then, they were minimizing it, but they were helping me see beyond the week and the unfair expectation that this is going to be quick. The truth is, grieving is messy and unpredictable. And you know this. We all know this. It can be a sound or a smell, an object or a place, a memory or a dream. And grief can suddenly catch us by surprise. Revolutionary love was born out of Valerie's grief and the myriad of emotions that are companions to grief. Valerie was going to be an academic, but it was when a family friend whom she called uncle was murdered that her life was changed. This uncle was the first person to be killed in the hate violence aimed at the sick and Muslim Americans that followed the September 11th atrocities. This happened in Arizona. And then, and now, she's a mother of a beautiful boy who is growing up in a world that's even more dangerous for her son than it was for her. Her grief and her anticipatory grief would not allow her to stay in the towers of academia but she used her academic prowess to create this revolutionary love project. Are there new places and spaces where grieving, where grieving has led you? 
new relationships that have formed through the experience of grieving. A quick look at Facebook or Instagram and I can see easily the large pictures of the kick ALS team or riding closer to free to try to find and fund cancer research to find a cure. The equestrian search and rescue, the birthday fundraisers, all of these things sparked by a shared grieving. These efforts demonstrate the connection between grief and love. And if there was no love, there would be no grief. In other words, because there is love, there is grief. And who you grieve with is who you fight for. Think about that. Think about the grieving that you've experienced and perhaps are experiencing now and how it has led you to join with others to create something different or to find hope where there had not been hope. The Our Center here in Longmont is an example of how sitting with others as they grieve and grieving together gave birth to something new. The Our Center is an important example of community organizing by local congregations and community leaders that were committed to loving through sustained and practical care. That's an element of grieving with people is offering sustained and practical care. And we're joined this morning by Julie, who is the Director of Volunteer Services at the Hour Center. Julie's created this video for us, and let's listen to what she has to say about the practice of grieving and where she sees grieving and grief in her work. I've been part of the Hour Center in one way or another since the early 90s. And one of the things I've always appreciated is the name. Our Center. Our Center becomes our center because of everyone who is here. Our, the people coming for services, our donors, our volunteers, our staff. This is our community. These are our people. These are our neighbors. This is our story. When I think of the, the people coming here for services, so many are coming because of loss. A loss of whatever kept them stable. Could be a job, their health, the loss of a person, and it leads to a loss of security and safety and trust. Even some of our volunteers are coming because of loss. A loss or a change in their life has them looking for a sense of purpose and meaning that they don't have right now. When we allow ourselves to grieve our losses, we and our loss can be transformed. We can become stronger and more resilient we can be empowered to take action we couldn't before. But we don't do this kind of grieve, grieving alone. I spent much of my life in the mission world, and a word that we often use is accompaniment. And I'd like to share with you a description of accompaniment. 
Accompaniment based in presence and relationship is equal and mutual and life-giving for everyone involved. The love we experience through our relationships gives us power and courage, and sometimes that's all we need. This is what I witness every day here at our center. On a typical day, you might see the following. One of our regular dishwashers talks to the people bringing their dirty dishes to him and asks them, how are you? And then really listens. So much so that the, the diners look forward to the day that he's the dishwasher. We have participants who are wait in our waiting room waiting to get groceries and they can tell when there's someone who is new and doesn't know their way around and then go and sit by them. Or you might hear one of our market volunteers working with someone who's come for groceries and you might hear the following. You might hear them say, did you get the job? Or what did the doctor say? Or how's your daughter? Or you might have been here the day a man came for groceries, drove up for groceries. And when, he, when he'd been asked if he'd been here before, he started to cry. And he said, only as a donor. I've never asked for help before. And in return, he was told, well, you've helped to care for others before. And now it's your turn to receive that same care. And hopefully soon you'll be donating again. We are present to each other in a way that says, you are not alone. Through our, their encounters here, our participants can leave with much more than the services that they came for. They can leave with a sense of relief, perhaps more energy to take on the things that are in their life, the challenges of their life, maybe even a greater sense of dignity and more hope. And what can that lead to? We see people all the time that want to give back when they're at a better place because out of gratitude or because of concern for others. Or we see people who want to make changes and so they take one of the classes offered here. Or they might want to make a difference in their community and go through our leadership training program. But we are all inspired to face our own challenges by the people we meet in their stories. The last year and a half because of the pandemic has been a real example of solidarity. We had our volunteers who, especially during the first year, were coming here at not only just great risk for their health, but also of their life to serve others. And those coming here for services knew it. And they took very seriously that people were doing this for them and could not have been more gracious in receiving and showed more concern for those who are here for them. This is what we do. We are present to each other. We take care of each other. And God transforms us and we are never the same. This is our center. Oh, how shall we receive you? Be present to each other. Take care of each other. God transforms us and we are never the same. How do we prepare for this? We keep our hearts open. We allow them to be porous. 
I remember in biology learning about those, those semi-permeable membranes where things flow in and out. It's strange what you remember, isn't it? But what a helpful image of allowing the experience of another to come into your heart and allowing it to even change you and then to come out again, in and out. If we're willing, being with others in grief will lead us to new places and new relationships and new ministries. Valerie asks the question, how are you brave with your grief? And for me, Mike Martin comes to mind. Remember, Raw Tools was born out of his grief that followed the atrocities at Sandy Hook Elementary School. And he courageously said, no more. A combination of his grief and his Christian tradition led him into blacksmithing and the turning of guns into garden tools. And more than that, his willingness to get close to people who are grieving and let them shape his ministry. That very important moment where someone takes up the hammer and takes it to what was a part of a gun on the anvil after it had been in the forge. That's something that took him by surprise, the power of that moment, and it has shaped his ministry ever since. And as partners with him in his ministry, we've seen firsthand how the curves of confusion are straightened out. The confusion of misplaced trust and power can be straightened out. And we've seen how the hazards of a washboard road are scraped smooth. Start again. Let's get those bumps out. There's no traction on a washboard road. It's not just dangerous to the vehicle itself, but it's very jarring whether you're on a bicycle or in a car, it's the most unpleasant experience I can think of. But if it's the only thing you know, you might think that's the way a road's supposed to be. But this road that we're preparing the way for God's justice on is not a washboard road. It's one that can be scraped smooth. Being brave with our grief requires that we forego the role of bystander. There are no bystanders at the hour center. Could you imagine if people walked in and nobody said a word? That would be weird, right? It's sort of like walking into a church and having nobody say something. And yet so many are bystanders at different points in life. And, and here's another story from Valerie's life. Her father, so her father and her son, so her son and his grandfather, 
were on a ferry, and they had just done something really fun. And I think even the story goes that the boy was on his grandfather's shoulders, you know, at the top of the world, just happy as could be. And a woman called out to them and said, go back to the country where you came from. Now, mind you, her family had been farmers here in this country since the early 1900s. And her father couldn't hear, so the young boy had to repeat for his grandfather what was said to them. And when they got home and were recounting this story to Valerie, she said, didn't anybody say anything? And the answer was no. I know I've been a bystander at different points. I can't call to mind a specific instance. But you know that uncomfortable feeling, right? When there's something you can say, you're not quite sure what to say. And so rather than push through the discomfort, you just don't say anything and then you feel bad for a long time. We're being asked to be brave. Because remember, pushing through this is like pushing through the birth process. If you don't push, there's no baby. That's what they tell me. And I have no reason not to believe it. Let our grief compel us to speak. Grief is the price of love. Remember, who you grieve with and who you grieve for is who you fight for. And I know sometimes people get caught up, well, is my fighting self-serving? I'd rather look at it this way. Let it be personal. It's helpful if you really know what this feels like. If you know the grief of being discriminated against, or being called names, or being unfairly treated. If this is personal for you, that's actually helpful. Because speaking up serves everybody. And the fear of being self-serving is not the spirit of God's, it's not the spirit of God. The spirit of God is not calling us to silence. That's a different spirit. And I need to mention that there's something even worse than being a bystander. About six years ago, grief led me to a support group for people who had experienced domestic violence. And in listening to and carrying the pain of the people who shared that circle, I heard the hard truth of family members who had betrayed the truth to protect their loved ones family members who were dishonest about the situation and behaviors of their loved ones at the expense of someone else's safety and the well-being of everyone involved. I have to tell you, I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that meeting. I, I sometimes feel challenged on how to use that information and how to speak into those places. And I offer that because I bet there are some situations that you're challenged 
wondering how to speak into as well. And remember that they come from a grief that's connected to a love, (laughs) and that this is an act of love. And I wonder if, among other things, an unwillingness to grieve is part of the betrayal equation. You know, pushing grief aside is not helpful. It just bubbles up and pours out in other ways. And there's a difference between grieving together and covering for each other. The former is an act of revolutionary love and God's justice. It's painful, but in the end, it's liberating. The truth does set us free, doesn't it? The latter comes at great cost. The latter protects the very thing that John the Baptist cried out against. Hear those wailing sounds again. Sometimes grief is lovely and melodious, a gentle sobbing is what this morning's anthem reminded me of. Maybe some swells of emotion, but sometimes it's a guttural cry, an atonal sound that's louder than may be comfortable. It implores us to prepare the way for God's justice where reckoning and healing are possible and atrocities are not repeated, because that's the goal. Let's not repeat atrocities. The cries of John the Baptist and the cries of grief are connected. The cries of birth pangs where God's justice is seeking to be born is what this season is about. We want this little baby to be born, this one that was named Jesus, again and again and again. And we want that second arrival, which is the arrival of God's justice, a justice that has a table for all and a place where all can be safe and all can be free.